listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. I'm going to do something with this evening's sermon that I, I don't think I've ever done before. I'm going to set aside the lectionary readings and instead preach on the collect, or the prayer for the evening. It actually occurred to me that I'd like to do this last year on this Sunday when I offered that prayer. Almighty God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Now that's pure St. Augustine, drawn pretty much directly from the opening section of his great autobiographical work, The Confessions. But the rest of the collect is very much in the spirit of Augustine as well, as we prayed, may we find peace in your service, and in the world to come see you face to face. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever to pray that we might find peace in God's service, in doing the work of God, peace in that, and to express a hope that one day we will stand in the very presence of God, and to offer those prayers through Jesus Christ in a thoroughly Trinitarian framework, well, whoever composed this collect might just as well have finished the confessions put the book down, picked up a pen, and written it. It so reflects Augustine's vision of things. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, or as it is worded in the first paragraph of Confessions, the thought of you stirs us so deeply, Lord, that we cannot be content unless we praise you because you made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And I have to tell you, Augustine, especially the young Augustine, knew a great deal about what it meant to be restless and to have a restless heart. He was born in 354 in North Africa, in what is now Algeria, but at the time was very much a part of the Roman Empire. He was, most scholars agree, a member of the Berber people. And so while in in most of the paintings and the icons he is portrayed as a very white, very European, northern European-looking man, in fact, he would have had darker skin, black hair, and facial features quite typical of North Africans in that region. His mother was a Christian. His father, an adherent of the Roman imperial religion and culture. And so he was exposed to both ways of thinking, believing, and living as he was growing up. Now, the confessions make it very clear that he was close to his mother and that she wished very much for him to become a Christian, 
But they also make it equally clear that that was something in which he was singularly disinterested. Instead, as a young man, he immersed himself in living with his friends the high life, wine, women, and song, so to speak. At the same time, he became an adherent of a religion called Manichaeism. Now, that was a dualistic religion, very much dividing things into good and evil, light and darkness, that had originated in Persia, and at the time was quite widespread. Manichaeism taught that the created world as we know it is flawed and not the work of a good God, but rather of the Satan striking out in rebellion against God. Yet, the Manichaeans believed there remained trapped inside of the human soul a, a spiritual light, a spark that reflected the world of light in which the good God dwelt. The Manichaeans held to a very complicated mythology that was melded together with some elements of the Christian tradition. And all of their religious practices were aimed at freeing their adherents to discover that remnant of the inner light. Well, Augustine found Manichaeism intriguing, in part because it provided him an account or an explanation as to why he and his friends could so easily act so badly, driven by their selfish appetites. That's because this world and these bodies and these desires are not from a good God. They are fallen. They are born of darkness and evil. It was kind of a bit of an excuse to keep doing the wine, women, and song thing. But it also gave him hope that he could be something better by discovering and uncovering that inner spark, that inner light. Though he was in no hurry to get there, he would later write in Confessions that it was during this period of kind of living the highlight life and, and exploring the Manichae path that he would pray Grant me chastity, Lord, and continence, but not yet. In time, though, Augustine tired of Manichaeism, finding its complicated mythology and cosmology ultimately irrelevant and intellectually lacking. So he turned his attention to philosophy, particularly to Neoplatonism, that actually led him closer to Christianity, as did his mother's continued powerful faith and presence in his life and the turn to the Christian faith of one of his good friends. He was in Milan at this point, later in his 20s, and he'd been deeply impressed by the great oratory skills and gifts of the great Ambrose of Milan, Bishop Ambrose. Bishop Ambrose actually took the younger Augustine under his wing as something of a, of a student and a seeker. Still, for all that he loved and respected his mother and appreciated the wise counsel of Ambrose, he wasn't sure he could fully step into this Christian path. 
Part of that was because he had tasted these other ways of being and thinking. And in the end, he found they they just could not deliver. They left him restless. What if Christianity turned out to be just another one of those, promising at the beginning, but in time, not enough? The other part, though, of his story was that from the age of 17, he'd been living with a mistress. In the parlance of the day, a concubine. He'd even fathered a child with her. To become a Christian, he believed, would mean setting her aside. That would not be an acceptable relationship within the church. But he couldn't marry her because in a very class-bound society, she was considered too low. She wasn't at his level. A marriage was unacceptable. So he was sort of stuck. After more than a decade together, he did actually leave her, though not because he was becoming a Christian yet, but rather because his mother, his ever-present mother, had arranged a good and proper marriage for him to make him respectable. The woman to whom he was betrothed was not yet of the legal age to marry. She was 10. She had to be 12. Different world. And so he had to wait. And of this breaking of his long-time relationship with his mistress and the coming into this arrangement of betrothal, he wrote, my mistress being torn from my side as an impediment to my marriage, my heart, which clave to her, was racked and wounded and bleeding, broken. One, of course, has to wonder what happened to her. Well, the arranged marriage didn't actually ever happen. As before his fiancée had reached the age to marry, Augustine had indeed become a Christian, and he'd made the decision to become a celibate priest, and that centuries before celibacy was universally required for ordination. As he tells the story, he'd been out in the garden sitting under a tree when he heard from across the wall a child's voice saying, take up and read. Augustine received this as as an inspired invitation to take up his Bible and read it. And so he did, starting with whatever section he randomly opened to it. It turned out that he opened it to the closing third of the epistle to the Romans. And that third of the epistle to the Romans has a good deal to do with how believers have their lives transformed in and through faith and by walking in a community of believers, a kind of a call to transformation. Well, he was sunk. And at the age of 31, he surrendered. And what do you know? He found that that restless heart was finally at rest. Not that things suddenly became easy, or that his life was without its own complexities and challenges. No, of course not. Life is never without its complexities and challenges. But that restlessness in his heart was gone, because now he knew who he was and whose he was.
said at the beginning of the sermon that I, I was setting aside today's readings, but that isn't entirely true, because I want to end with a portion of the reading from the epistle to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And I can almost imagine Augustine saying, yep, and at 31 I finally had to admit it, I had been chosen, pursued for heaven's sake by God. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before him in love. God destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. No wonder my heart can finally rest, Augustine might have said. I've been adopted as a child of God because of God's good pleasure, not harsh judgment, God's good pleasure, glorious grace, and it's all freely given. Finally, I'm home. Finally, there's rest for this restless heart. Well, in light of his story and of that reading from Ephesians, we just want to say that all of us, may all of us, taste a little bit of that, especially when the other things in our lives and in our world aren't necessarily going so well. And there'll be long stretches where things don't necessarily go so well, as you well know. Even still, especially then, may our hearts, may your hearts, be at rest in our gracious Lord. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.